Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome. Status is important to all of us. Particularly, your HIV status can influence your health and well-being. Do you know your status? Search GNR can help with free HIV testing, at-home testing, condoms by mail subscriptions, and prescriptions for medications that can protect you from contracting HIV, known as PrEP. Stay healthy, protected, and prepared, no matter the status of your relationship. Learn more at searchgnr.com. DJ Uncle Lee is about to go in right now. Now you can wait your whole life wondering when it's gonna come or where it's been. You may have got your heart broken a few times in the past. Never last strong as it used to. It don't feel as good as it used to. Before, and all the things you used to say, things you used to do, went right out the door. Ooh, no more will you be the one. That's what you tell everyone around you. But you know they've heard it all before. What more can you say?
Yusuf son is looking at me like, where's my daddy? And your 13-year-old daughter is mad cause she understands. Promised your mama I'd take care of the family. But she's so hurt, she turns away my helping hand. Damn, I wish your ass was here, my that great beard and smoke that cigar, my sister. And we would talk about you getting up out this game. And you would tell me how it keeps calling your name. Never afraid to. But sometimes we in the Lord. They tear down these projects. We were homies for like 20 thug years. Sat in church and cried the same thug tears. You remember when Bob world for me? We used to share the same old gear I remember when you and me would say We'd get about this good and everything would be okay It's all good now holding me down For such a long time now From back then till now in my story Straight from the hood you've always been there for me And you had my back when they Back when everybody said I wasn't anything It was you who kept me holding on no matter what was going on Whatever you need I got you Reminiscing that six train from way back. Now it's sky blue phantoms and stretch Maybachs. For sweeping them floors in them bronze apartments. Mira Hetake on that red carpet. When Pun died, you was the first to call me. I never told you, but you was there for me. Whatever you need, I'll be there for you. Crack, I got your back for real. True story. My loyalty will always be with you if you just promise me that you'll stay real. Maybe I don't know what love is Maybe I 
sick every minute counts so don't go anywhere go to dispatchhealth.com where high quality medical care comes directly to you no getting out of a sick bed no crazy driving to an emergency room no endless paperwork no hospital waiting rooms visit dispatchhealth.com to learn about our medical professionals then make house calls dispatch health is covered by medicare and most major insurance go to dispatchhealth.com Status is important to all of us. Particularly, your HIV status can influence your health and well-being. Do you know your status? Surge GNR can help with free HIV testing, at-home testing, condoms by mail subscriptions, and prescriptions for medications that can protect you from contracting HIV, known as PrEP. Stay healthy, protected, and prepared, no matter the status of your relationship. Learn more at SurgeGNR.com.
that he can't go like me But you know that the can't freak like me So mommy tell me one little thing How deep is your love for me? Can I see the way you wiggle it, the way you move your body? He can't make it get wetter than me, but I bet you keep telling you he's better than me. Ooh, you know that he can't go like me. You know that he ain't no free life. So baby, tell me one little thing.
was driving, you was walking, and I swooped you up. From that moment on, I knew you were the one. I was single, you was lonely, and we fell in love. We would sit and talk for hours about anything. Baby, you hang up, no, you hang up, on three hang up. I brought you in by picture, and I gave you everything. Said you'd always be my baby, then you How you gonna hurt and leave me now? How you gonna act like that? How you gonna change it up? We just finished making up. How you gonna act like that? How you gonna act like we don't be making love? You know we be tearing it up, breaking stuff back in love. How you gonna Oh, God. 
Nita, Nita. If only you could see the tears in the world you left behind. If only you could heal my heart just one more time. Even when I close my eyes, there's an image of your face. And once again I come to realize You're a loss I can't replace Soledad, it's a keeping for the road When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. Status is important to all of us. Particularly, your HIV status can influence your health and well-being. Do you know your status? Search GNR can help with free HIV testing at-home testing, condoms-by-mail subscriptions, and prescriptions for medications that can protect you from contracting HIV, known as PrEP. Stay healthy, protected, and prepared, no matter the status of your relationship. Learn more at SurgeGNR.com.
sound like uh uh Say 
All my people know what's going on 
help me sing my song Tell her I'm your man You're my girl I'm gonna tell it to the whole wide world Lady say I'm your girl You're my man Promise to love you the best I can See I've been there, done it, walked around After all that, this is what I found Every one of y'all are just like me It's too bad that you can't see That you got it bad You got it, you got it bad You got it bad You call right back You got it, you got it bad When you miss a day Without you feel your whole life's all dry No, you got it bad When you're stuck in the house You won't stuck have fun So all you think about Look at yourself You got it bad when you're Someone which you keep on thinking about somebody else Wait to 
But I know that the heart's mine Because I let him go Tried to get over it But it's smashing with my mind At Jewelers Mutual, we're a little obsessed with jewelry. Obsessed like auctioneers with talking fast. Fifty, we're gonna fifty. Pop stars with auto tune. And dentists with asking questions. So, how did he propose? After they've put their hands in your mouth. Great. Yes, we've made jewelry our obsession for over 100 years. We love it so much, we named our kids Ruby, Amber, and Opal. Venti soy latte for Opal? At Jewelers Mutual, we insure jewelry and only jewelry, which is why people who are also obsessed with jewelry trust us with theirs. episode please leave us a review on itunes okay high time now for our tune of the week to read he loved to study he loved sports as well we spent most of our time with him and he spent most of, most of his time with us too everything we had we gave to him yeah before he died after treat he booked place in france for us to go all expenses paid by him evan smith died on the 25th april 2019 at north middlesex hospital in north london he was a football analyst, someone that spent hours watching games, tracking the stats of his favourite players and teams. And he suffered from sickle cell anemia. He died of sepsis at the age of just 21. Richard Okaregeye was a 19-year-old student who went missing in March from his home in Ladbroke Grove in West London. You probably remember this story. Some breaking news to you. His face was on posters, News reports say that the body of a man that was found in a lake in Epping Forest has now been identified as that of the 19-year-old student Richard Okorogai. Uh, Richard went missing. His name repeated again and again in police statements. Now, the mother of Richard Okorogai has said she is confused and devastated and just wants answers. The 19-year-old student who had sickle cell disease went missing. Like Evan, he also suffered from sickle cell anemia. He had been shielding throughout lockdown. My heart feels as if it was ripped apart. Two weeks after he was last seen, his body was found. While his cause of death is unknown, his mother has since called for more awareness about the disease and more mental health support for those who have it. I'm completely hollowed and devastated and empty. According to the Sickle Cell Society, Approximately 15,000 people in the UK have sickle cell disorder. 
It can be inherited by anyone of all ethnicities. However, it mostly affects those people from African and Caribbean backgrounds. So, is there a lack of awareness about sickle cell disorders amongst the medical community and the rest of society? I speak to Britain's first ever sickle cell specialist nurse and ask her whether she thinks race plays a role in this issue. There was a lot of work going on in the 1980s and 1990s. Why, why are we in this situation? It's scandalous, actually. Hello, I'm Shingi Marareke, and welcome to the Sky News Daily Podcast. Good morning, Shingi. I'm fine. And you? Yeah, I'm well. I'm very well. The sun is shining. What more can I ask for? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Betty Smith. I'm the mother of Evan Smith. And I'm Charles Smith. I'm the father of Evan Smith. Evan was born and bred in Walthamstow. Actually, he was born at the North Middle Center. So, so that's where he's been with all, the, all along until his death. I know alongside being a great table tennis player and a caring son, he was, uh, he, he was living with, with sickle cell, um, a really difficult illness to, to manage. How did it affect him in his day-to-day life? Because I'm sickle cell myself, I taught him how to manage it. So as he was growing, he, he learned about the disease and it didn't hinder his academic work or anything. He, he didn't let sickle cell rule his life. So take me to, to I, I believe it was April 2019, when Evan has to go to hospital for something unrelated to his sickle cell. Before we talked about that, we have to go back to September 2018, when they discovered that he had uh, gallstones. Mm-hmm. He became jaundiced, so he needed to have the gallstones removed. And then they inserted a stent, a biliary stent, in him so that feather stones will not drop into the, the bile ducts. Now, first of all, the stent was placed in, then the gallbladder had to be removed, and then the stent also had to be removed. The gallbladder was finally removed in January of 2019, and an appointment was made for him to remove the stent by February. However, these appointments kept being canceled, and the last appointment we had was in April, which was when he went into hospital for the stent removal. And apparently he developed sepsis following the procedure. He just went in on the 17th of April, had it removed, and then went back into hospital on the 18th of April because when he woke up, he said, Mommy, I think I've got an infection. My urine is concentrated and I've got high temperature. Apparently he was never given any antibiotics as a sickle patient going for a procedure, they should have covered up with prophylactic antibiotic or something, but they didn't. When we questioned the hospital, they said they were going by national guidelines. So here we are back in hospital on the 18th of April. Evan had been transferred from A&E to a ward in the hospital. But when we got to the ward, there was no bed for him there and we said, why was he transferred if there was no bed? And they said, oh, they have a, a place called lodger bed. So it was a bed underneath a bare window with no facilities at all, facing the door. So as soon as Evan got there, he started shivering. He said, mommy, let's go back to where I came from because this place is not fit. I mean, I'm cold. We complained to the nurses. They brought him more blankets. I gave him my cardigan and I said, Evan, don't worry. Everything will be fine. 
So early the following morning, that was when I was to travel. At the airport, I called him and asked, Evan, how was your night? And he said, Mommy, you wouldn't believe what happened. I was shivering. I was cold. I had started feeling pains in my back. And then I called the nurse and I told her I was breathless. I needed oxygen. But she said the saturation she had taken was fine and therefore I didn't need it. So I picked up my phone and called 999 for help. He said, Mommy, don't worry. You go and bury Grandma and come. This will be a story for another day. And those were the last days of my son to me. My husband called to say, Evan is in intensive care. And the doctors are saying he might not make it. I said, what? When I left Evan, he wasn't that bad. He said, yeah, I think things have deteriorated. Once he got to that ward, he didn't get the care he was supposed to have gotten. I'm sure they could have done better, but they made him await. And here he was, a sickle patient with sepsis. And at the inquest, the hematologist confessed that had he been alarmed that Evan needed oxygen, he would have noticed that it was a sickle crisis setting in and would have given him blood transfusions, would have saved him. You've just touched on the inquest, uh, the results of which were found earlier this year. In your own yes. words, talk us through the findings and also how those findings made the pair of you feel. Well, first of all, we did not think that the hematologist would come out directly and say that if Evan had been given blood transfusion, he would have survived. That was a shocker to us, not just us, but to the coroner as well. And the coroner reframed the question to the hematologist just to make sure that he understands what he's saying. And then he came back and said, yes, Eva would not have, would not have died. I mean, that was, that was really painful, very, very painful. Yeah. It was very devastating yeah. because all along, we, we, we didn't expect that was going to be the outcome. And Evan tried to help himself because in hospital, when he realized his condition was deteriorating, he called for help. And because no help wasn't coming, he took his phone to dial 999 in an attempt to help himself. I, I mean, moving forward, you, you, won't, you won't get Evan back. But I think what has been quite inspiring for me to see on social media and in other places is the rise in, in people campaigning around sickle cell from blood drives to just, you know, a, a greater push for what the illness is. What would you like Evan's legacy to be? Well, maybe to, he's the guy who changed the whole system. First of all, he brought awareness uh, to the disease and uh, bringing the Afro-Caribbean culture together to donate blood because blood saves life. His name can live on as people learn to donate blood to save the lives of others. Also, well, we have been told that there's no longer anything like lodges, uh, bed in the hospital and that has been scrapped and um, that there is a dedicated ward now dedicated solely to sickle cell patients maybe Evan should <laughs> that that ward should be named after him so that whenever the hospital people hear his name mentioned they will know that this is, these are events leading to the creation of this particular ward Evan should be remembered for changing the whole system Dr. Emma Witcher, Medical Director at North Middlesex University Hospital NHS Trust, 
expressed her sincere condolences to Evan's family. She said they carried out a thorough internal investigation into Evan's care in 2019 and recognised that it should have been better. Since then, they've introduced a specialist sickle cell area on one of their wards, provided extra training for staff around the disease and have ongoing engagement with the local community who the disease disproportionately impacts. Professor Dame Elizabeth Anionwu was the first specialised sickle cell nurse in Britain. Do you, or do you, I mean, because people with, with damehoods, they like to be called, do you, is, it, is Dame Elizabeth better? Call me what you like. <laughs> <laughs> she was recently honoured at the Brit Awards by Dua Lipa, who said she has spent her stellar nursing career fighting racial injustice. In the, the simplest terms, what is sickle cell anemia and how does it affect the body? Sickle cell anemia is inherited. It has to be inherited from both parents, first of all, who don't necessarily have the illness. They're usually what's called silent carrier. Uh, but every time they have a child, there's a one in four chance that every child they have will have the illness. Now, the child with the illness will not get symptoms until usually after the age of six months or so. It's very easily diagnosed, by the way, with, with blood tests. And the main problems for the person that has the illness is what's called the painful crisis. The red blood cells just change from the normal donut shape to a sickle or banana shape, and that clogs up the tiny blood vessels. And therefore, you can imagine it, 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 it causes actually mild to excruciating pain which would warrant hospital admission when it gets that severe because they require very, very strong painkillers, opiates, in fact, sometimes. So the other problem is that an individual with the illness is subject to um, infectious um, problems such as pneumonia. It can also block up blood vessels in key organs of the body, so a child can have a stroke as a result of what's called sickling in the blood vessels. So there's a multitude of problems that can happen, but it's a very variable illness and it's a very unpredictable illness. The origin of sickle cell disease is in areas of the world where you find a type of malaria called falciparum malaria. And so the African continent is, is one such area, not, not every part of Africa, but there are other parts of the world that can be affected. So blue-eyed, blonde-haired individuals can have sickle cell uh, anemia, for example, in Greece and parts of Italy, etc. But in this country, the vast majority of patients with the illness are of African or African-Caribbean origin. In terms of, you know, your career, sickle cell anemia and the awareness around that is a big part of it. But I wanted to paint, you know, a bigger picture because you had an extraordinary uh, career as a nurse. Um, and I wanted to just ask a bit about when you first decided to become a nurse. Well, my parents weren't married and I spent the first nine years of my life in a children's home before my mother was able to uh, look after me. And uh, it was there I had very bad eczema and I was just delighted with the care of one particular nun. She just used to make me laugh and distract me from when she was changing the dressing because that could be very painful. And I thought she was wonderful and I decided not to be a nun but to be a nurse. Uh, and uh, I, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed my career in nursing and it was also in health visiting, so community nursing. I can imagine, so that would have been the, the 70s or so, I can imagine, you know, your experiences 
then as uh, as a bit of an an, an outlier um, might have been might have been tricky. Were there any particular moments you remember encountering racism or just prejudice based on the fact that you were not a white nursing student? Do you know, I think most of us just grow up with so many experiences that, you know, you put it to the back of your mind because otherwise you just never, ever carry on and progress, in fact. So, yes, I've I've had experiences similar to many others. But, you know, something, what I prefer to focus on is, yes, it caused me anger, but that anger I used, I think, very positively to drive me with others uh, who were keen to develop the services. So, for example, Dr. Misha Brozovic, a consultant haematologist in, in Brent. She and I just realised we had the same ideas about wanting to have a much better service for families affected by the condition, and we worked together. So, hey-ho, you know, there's an upside to anger. Coming up, I ask Elizabeth whether she thinks racism plays into the lack of awareness of sickle cell disorders and whether there is still room for improvement in how nurses are trained. I wanted to just take it back to the first time you came across sickle cell anemia. Um, can you remember when that was and you know how you felt about the, the condition? Actually, it was a mixture of personal and professional. It was um, a, a nine-year-old boy I was visiting when I was a health visitor in Brent, and the mother was very, very distraught. Whilst reasonably happy with the medical care, she wanted so much more information, and I couldn't give it to her because I had not been taught about the condition in my nurse training or my health visitor training, both of which I did late 60s, early 70s in London. Uh, then it became personal because when I found my father, my Nigerian father, uh, as you say, I, I discovered in my family a cousin. Well, I met a cousin who ha had sickle cell anemia. So I often think of it as the three P's, personal, professional, but then also political, because I really couldn't understand why we were being taught about other inherited conditions, but not sickle cell disease, for example. And so the only reason I and my colleagues thought, well, you know, it's because it's a minority issue. The tutors don't seem to know about it and it's not it's not on their agenda. How how much was was or how little <laughs> was known about sickle cell anemia in the UK at the time? And how did you go about trying to change that? Well, the, the, you know, sickle cell anemia, the person who highlighted it in the States, won a Nobel Prize. I think it was in 1949. I mean, it's a really well understood illness. They say it's the first illness to be recognised as a molecular condition. You know, really, really well known in science circles. But that knowledge, for some reason, well, I think we know the reason probably, was not transmitted to, to, to make it helpful for those affected by the condition. Now, that's not to say that there weren't medical people really involved with giving good care, but that wasn't spread throughout the country. And certainly when it came to families, because as a health visitor, I was more interested in providing information in an understandable way for families. And that was lacking in respect of sickle cell, certainly in this country. And you became Britain's first and only sickle cell specialist nurse. What did your job involve? Well, everything. Do you know there's an expression very much linked with the objectives of the National Health Service from cradle to grave? And, and sadly, that actually does describe 
the range of services that families required. Fortunately, there weren't too many deaths, but there were some. So really, we're talking about identifying the illness through screening. It's very straightforward to do that. And then providing support and ensuring that those affected have the best medical, social and full, full, all the services they require to live a decent life in spite of having this long-term condition. How many more specialist nurses dealing with sickle cell are there now? Oh, there's a lot more. I think there's about 30 centres up and down the country. Uh, so, yes, there are many, many more specialist sickle cell nurses, both in the hospital and in the community, which is very good. How proud does it make you feel to know that you were the first in, in pushing this change and helping to put the condition you know, on the agenda, at, at least in terms of treatment? Well, I like to think I was first of a multidisciplinary team, as I've said, working with Dr. Misha Brozovic, who supported the idea of me becoming a specialist sickle cell nurse. I got the idea from the United States, where there was a network of sickle cell nurse specialists. And I thought, wow, nurses can play a role. And Dr. Brozovic supported that idea. And yeah, that's how it all began. Very, very proud. Yes, very, very proud. Why do you still think, though, that the symptoms of sickle cell anemia are still going, you know, unnoticed or misunderstood in certain circles, medical circles and, and, and wider circles as well? I, I think, though, looking back, because I, I am getting on now. So looking back, for example, 40 years, things have progressed so much more than, than the, in, in, in that era when there really was a lot of ignorance about the illness, except amongst a, a tiny group of specialists. Now, sickle cell is known of today, and you know what we what we want is for nurses to have nurses up and down the country. Doesn't matter where they train, to be provided with information, and it's it's too ad hoc at the moment. So that's what we need to change. Work is going on as we speak, and of course, it's been speeded up by the tragic deaths of individuals. So, for example, the Sickle Cell Society which is a small charity but really punching above its weight, is working alongside Health Education England, which oversees the curriculums, for example, of schools, colleges of nursing and midwifery up and down the country. That is one example I could give. A good training programme about sickle cell uh, anemia, for example, would be that no nurse would leave a three-year educational programme without having learnt something about sickle cell disease, and we can't say that at the moment. We have gone backwards. There was a lot of effort in lots of organisations to improve the knowledge about sickle cell disease. The police, probation, schools, the NHS, there was a lot of work going on in the 1980s and 1990s. Why, why are we in this situation? It's, it's scandalous, actually. How much does this feel like a potential watershed moment in which we go from things being embedded for a period of time to them being maybe perhaps more permanent? Can we get there? Can we get to that point where it's, it is an issue all day, every day, you know, all the time? Is it possible? I think we can. I think we can. And I'm going to give you one example. All babies in this country are now screened a few days after birth for a variety of conditions and uh, in 2016, sickle cell anemia was added into those conditions. That is an example of progress due to campaigning. That is, that is real progress, and it is staying there. So, yeah, I, I am optimistic, 
in certain areas. Um, but it just shows we just all have to, we can't be complacent. The Sickle Cell Society is the only national charity in the UK that supports those affected by the disorder to improve their quality of life. They can offer help and advice if you or someone you know is affected. You can contact them on 0208 961 7795 or visit their website sicklecellsociety.org. So I think both of my conversations, firstly with Evan's parents and with uh, with Professor Dame Elizabeth, were, were both very moving. Evan's parents lost their son due to a lack of understanding um, about sickle cell, which is difficult to hear. Whereas on the other side of the coin, Dame Elizabeth has worked her entire life to ensure that cases like Evan's don't happen. But they still are. And there's lots of work to be done. Lots of conversations to be had still um, at this point in 2021, which I think has disappointed a fair few people. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sky News Daily podcast presented by me, Shingi Mararike. This episode was produced by Lauren Pinkney and Nicola Ayres. To hear more stories and interviews like this, head over to our website and app and check out our other podcasts. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. Strong, healthy, and loving relationships begin with the relationship that you have with yourself. It's the inner work that brings goodness into fruition in every area of life. And that's our focus here on the Growth Farming Podcast. Welcome to you. I am D. Grant Smith. On this podcast, we talk about relationships, yes, as well as overcoming personal challenges, difficulties, and using what life throws at us as fuel to become the best version of ourselves. Grow with me beyond this podcast through my books, courses, speaking, and more at dgrantsmith.com. Welcome to you, my friend. Today, we're going to talk about the desert. And I've got a question that's a little bit existential in nature, as are most of my questions, but I want to put this in your perspective 
and get you thinking in a little bit different way. We're going to be talking about a consistent subject for probably the next few episodes because this is something that I have been working through and going through and learning through for the better part of not only this past year, but I want to say most of my life. And I turned 40 in a couple weeks, and so I've been thinking about this a whole lot. So, here's the question. Can you grow a garden in the desert? Now, I live in West Texas. It's a fairly deserty climate out here. We don't get as much rainfall as other parts of the country or other parts of the world. And in many places, there's a whole lot of desert atmosphere around here. But I'm not speaking necessarily about the desert of West Texas, and if you live in my part of the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I do want you to have a little bit of a perspective of what the desert means when we think about it in terms of growth, and especially when we think about it in terms of life. When you think of abundant growth, especially in nature, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Probably someplace that's full of green everywhere. Maybe tons of trees and lots of plant life and flowers and maybe even butterflies, lots of water like a river stream or a waterfall. In this sort of place, it's easy to imagine abundance because that life and that color and that vibrancy is everywhere. But when you typically think about a desert, you don't have the same sort of perspective about vibrancy and abundance, do you? Maybe you think of the abundance of dust or sand or the abundance of really, really scorching hot temperatures. But in terms of life, life meaning plant life and things that you can farm and grow, those are two very different places. So the idea of being able to grow a garden in the desert might seem like something that's incredibly difficult. And that's why I want to talk about it with you here on this podcast. Now, this question actually came from a friend of mine named Catherine Mahoney. She is an intuitive coach that works with businesses, and she's a very, very brilliant mind. I met her on the Wisdom app. Now, if you haven't used Wisdom before, I encourage you to get on there because there's so many amazing people sharing all kinds of beautiful wisdom and stories and perspectives and inspiration on a daily basis. It's also another place that you can connect with me, and we can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation together. So if you're not on Wisdom, jump on there. But I was having this conversation with Catherine, who I actually met on Wisdom, and we were talking about the idea of growth no matter where you are. And she asked, or she, actually she made this statement, you are growing a garden in your desert. And that really gave me such a profoundly inspirational and encouraging feeling inside of me, especially in light of what I'm about to share with you here. I felt like I've been spending the majority of this year, honestly, in many ways, going through this very proverbial desert. Once again, my birthday is coming up in a few weeks, and turning 40 is something I'm actually really excited about. I always get excited when I get another year older because it reminds me that I've had a whole other year of human experience. And also it reminds me that even though I've been through some pain, I've been through some difficulties, nothing has stopped me from moving forward. And I hope that that gives you some new perspective and maybe even some new encouragement as you continue to move forward towards your next birthday or even into your next day. But desert and 40 mean a whole lot because 
the biblical story of the Jews' exodus from Egypt into the Promised Land lasted how long? Forty years. And in that story, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before they were finally able to cross over into the Promised Land. Now, when I think about that story, that gives me a little bit of hope. Not that my entire life has been a proverbial, consistent wandering around in a desert with a whole lot of hopelessness, but there have been some immense challenges and difficulties and obstacles that I've faced in my 40 years. And I've been making a lot of very deep, conscious shifts on the inside of me about the way that I think, the way that I feel, the practices that I do, and I've been sharing many of those here with you on this podcast. And doing all of this inner work has created a whole lot of change in my life. I am living a better version. Actually, I'm living the best version of myself up to this point. I operate with a whole lot more confidence and an increasingly growing amount of peace and calm despite what still feels like in many ways going through this desert. Now, much of my life has felt like a journey all throughout this proverbial desert. And I'm going to share with you in a little bit uh, some insights that I have about what this journey has meant to me. And if you've gone through some similar things, a new way of looking at the difficulties or the trials or the struggles or the challenges that you've been going through or that you faced that will not only give you a sense of hope, but my intention and my desire is that it also gives you a new perspective of the way that you look at yourself from a place of maybe feeling like you don't know what to do or you're trying to figure it out and that's caused you a whole lot of stress into seeing yourself as a champion, seeing yourself as a victor, and see yourself as someone who has what it takes and actually is doing amazing work that is going to be revealed to you in more empowering and beautiful, tangible ways. Now for me, there have been quite a few trials and struggles and difficulties and challenges in my spins around the uh, sun. And at every turn, there seems to be just about something that's a little bit higher of a level than the challenge that I faced before. At the same time, I've also experienced what I consider to be several oasises. Is that even a word? Is that how you do the plural of oasis? There's been several oasis inside this desert. I've experienced incredible joy, laughter, fun, delight, some of the most beautiful and amazing people on earth, and some of the most wonderful and incredible relationships. And if I hadn't been through different areas of this proverbial desert, I wouldn't have had all of these wonderful, beautiful, amazing moments and relationships and experienced all of the awesomeness that I have experienced. Because sometimes we have to go through deserts in order to get to where it is that we really desire and dream of being. If you've ever read the book, The Alchemist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't read the book, then my encouragement to you, uh, beyond the other things that I'm going to recommend that you do, is that you go grab that book as soon as you can. It is my all-time favorite work of fiction, and it's such a powerful way to see your own story told in a different way. But the overall gist of the story is this young shepherd boy in Spain has a dream, and this from this dream there's this revelation that comes to light that there's this treasure that's waiting for him, but he has to go to the pyramids to be able to find it. 
Now, he doesn't know what the pyramids are. He doesn't know where they are, but he starts asking people around, sells off all of his sheep, changes his job, work, and everything that he does, and goes on this adventure to find the pyramids so that he can find this treasure. And while he's moving from Spain and eventually getting to Egypt where the pyramids are, he goes through all kinds of adventures and experiences all kinds of people and eventually does find true love, which is one of the most beautiful ways of one of the most beautiful stories of true love that I've ever read or experienced before. But ultimately, the shepherd boy has to go on this adventure and go through all these different series of deserts and incredible challenges to be able to get to the desert to find out where his treasure actually is. And in so many ways, our lives are like that. Now, I don't know what kind of work that you do. I work, again, in the entrepreneurial space. I do work as coaching people. I have a book. I have courses. I have, I have stuff where I'm, I'm selling things that I have created into the space of helping other people change and grow. And right here in this entrepreneurial space where many people are in, in a variety of different capacities, all of us are told all kinds of different things on a fairly regular basis through social media and marketing quote-unquote gurus. By the way, I don't believe in gurus or experts because nobody is a master and knows everything. But anyways, there are people that sell themselves as that. And they are people that are telling us that we have to do certain things in order to grow our business. And a lot of this stuff that they are teaching us involve being on some sort of digital platform like social media or YouTube or TikTok or any of these other things. That we have to do all this stuff and be on all these platforms so that we can build an audience and we can we can grow and sell and do all this stuff but basically everything that's being taught and being showcased to us is this you have to do 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 this and it feels overwhelming and if you're in the entrepreneurial space you probably know exactly what it is that I'm talking about and maybe all of the doing 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 over and over and over again for you has felt like this uphill journey and race where people are throwing stuff at you while you're trying to get uphill. And if that's been your story, I totally understand. That's been a lot of what my story's been like too. We're told that social media is how you grow anything. And that you have to have an email list. And you need to have a uh, following on all these different platforms. And I'll admit to you, even doing a podcast like this is something else that we're told from a marketing standpoint. This is how you get your message out there. This is how you build your audience. I'm going to be really honest with you. I can't see your face right now, but I'm thinking of an individual person while I do these podcast episodes because my desire and my heart and my intention is to connect with you as an individual and for you to see me as an individual going through my own journey and sharing the wisdom that I found and the insights that I found and some of the truth stuff that I've discovered along the way to give you something that will benefit you and bless you as an individual along your way. Now, yeah, I always talk about my books at some point in, in my podcast episodes as a way to give you another resource, but really what I'm trying to do here is be with you in your journey even if it's just for a few steps along your path to give you something that will benefit you and bless you. That's the purpose of what this podcast is. Not necessarily to build an audience. The audience stuff doesn't really matter. You as an individual does. What I'm trying to get at here, though, 
is all of this doing can feel like you're on a perpetual hamster wheel in the desert. And you run faster and faster and faster, and you do more and more and more. But because so much of this digital landscape is very impersonal, it doesn't really show us the progress that we're making. Especially if, as an entrepreneur, you want to grow your business, you want to serve more people, you want to help more people, and sometimes we do all this work and we don't see the tangible results from it. And when you don't see tangible results from the work that you do, that can feel really debilitating. It can feel like a total, I don't know, I don't want to say waste, but it can feel like, it, it, can, it can take the air out of your lungs, I take the air out of your wings. It can make you not want to take another step. It can make you even question, is this idea of the quote-unquote promised land, this place that I've been dreaming of where I've reached this new level of success and success keeps happening for me over and over and over again and I'm able to help way more people and I'm prospering in all the things that I do and I've got amazing relationships and I feel good every day. Is that even a reality or is that some sort of fake dream that I made up so that I would feel better? And did I buy into somebody else's notion that this was something that could actually, ha actually happen? Or is all of this just a facade? Now, if you've ever had that thought, welcome to the club, man. Uh, I've had that thought a lot, to be honest with you. I've had that thought a lot, especially in 2021. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff about the desert that's actually really important. And that's really what I want to share with you here. Because here's something that we need to be willing to face and be willing to address. There is certain degrees, or I guess there are certain degrees, of emotional and even psychological trauma that can happen to you when you experience disappointment. You and I both have hopes and dreams. We imagine that things that we dream about are going to work out a certain way. We do work that we love, and we, we, we make something, and we put it out there, and we create this beautiful, wonderful thing. We have good intentions behind it. We have good desires behind it. And we put it out into the world with a desire and a dream for it to do something and for something to be manifest that comes into our reality. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And so it can feel like you're having this debilitating experience by doing the work and not seeing the results. I talk a lot about what I continue to learn from Neville Goddard, who was a teacher and a lecturer in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And one of the things that I've learned from him is how faith and your imagination go together. I've talked about that a lot on this podcast, and I've talked about it a lot on my blog as well. But Neville has helped me redefine what faith means. And I'll be honest with you, I spent, I don't know, 40, almost 40 years in church, and I didn't really understand what faith was in a cognitive standpoint prior to reading his work. But Neville Goddard defines faith as unwavering loyalty to the unseen reality within. And that's exactly what it is. You have a desire for something, and maybe you put that desire into prayer, Maybe you put that desire into meditation. Maybe you put that desire into writing in your journal. Maybe you put that desire in a whole bunch of different places. Right now, your desire isn't something that you're experiencing. 
And so you use your faith to imagine what it would look like and what it would feel like for you to experience this desire that you have. And what faith is, is belief, unwavering loyalty and belief that what you don't see with your what you don't see with your eyes right now or have not experienced with your five senses right now that it's not something that is out there somewhere but it's something that you have right now because you have it on the inside of you the inside your imagination you imagine what it looks like you imagine what it sounds like if it has a sound you imagine what it feels like what it tastes like uh, what it smells like if it if it fits any of these descriptions you get into what Neville calls the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And what he talks about over and over again in his books are the feeling is the secret. Now, I don't know if you've ever made a vision board. I've got quite a few around my house because I read a whole bunch of people talking about you need to have a vision board in order to manifest your desires. Well, I wrote all kinds of stuff and cut out magazine clippings and surrounded myself with things that I wanted to experience and great sayings and all this motivational, encouraging stuff. And some of the things that I have put in, put on vision boards, I have experienced in some very kind of early stage sort of ways. But a lot of it I haven't. And I realized from reading Neville's work that part of the reason why I haven't experienced, to be super honest with you, a lot of the big things that I've been dreaming about for a while is that I wasn't putting my feelings into what it was that I was thinking about or focusing on. The visualization is an important thing because the imagination from a visual standpoint is, is a big part of this deal, but you have to get into the feeling. Now, a couple books that Neville has written that talk about all this include The Law and the Promise, At Your Command, and one of my personal favorites because it talks so much about gardening metaphors, Seed Time and Harvest. Now, one of the things that Neville doesn't necessarily dig into all that much because it wasn't his focus he doesn't talk about the shifts that have to happen in your mindset and even in your emotions if you are not trained or used to accessing the part of your mind that can envision something beautiful and amazing from what you're going through in the moment. Or if you are not necessarily emotionally in tuned with yourself to be able to get into a state of joy and get into a state of excitement and get into a state of happiness especially if you've been through some really, really difficult times. Because when we go through difficult times, what ends up happening to us most of the time is we shift our focus and focus on the difficulty. We focus on the challenge. We focus on what's not going our way. And then we get into the mode of trying to, quote-unquote, figure it out, which only perpetuates the hamster wheel in the desert. Because all of our focus is on the problem and the challenge and the difficulty and the pain. And as you know, what you focus on grows. So, it can seem like a big stretch to try to get into a place where you're imagining feeling your wish fulfilled. Where you're imagining feeling what your promised land would be like. Maybe if you've had business struggles where maybe you haven't had much revenue or much sales, or you haven't had much uh, income coming in for a while, and you've gotten into a place where you're starting to really get really worried about it, maybe even to a place where you're starting to panic a little bit, and that panic setting in, that's an emotion 
right there. That's a feeling state. Panic is a, is a feeling state. Fear, worry, th these are all feeling states. It can feel or seem to be really, really difficult to shift out of that low place and into even one step or one notch higher on the ladder to maybe even just a place of relative calm. That can seem like a really, really humongous stretch if you're not used to going there. And that's why the desert can feel so perilous. And that's why that question that my friend Catherine asked, or actually she didn't ask the question, I started asking myself the question. She made the statement, you are growing a garden in the desert. And I hadn't looked at it that way. Because I had spent a lot of time, honestly, even though I was reading Neville, and even though I was practicing and I have been practicing a lot of the things that he talks about, I had also honestly still been practicing thinking about the challenges, still spending time in the feeling states of worry and concern and not knowing what I was going to do. I got out of trying to figure it out, thank God, because figuring it out hasn't brought me any, any fruit that's been anything worth, worth, worth savoring. But I'll be super honest with you, there's been a lot of time in 2021 that has been a gigantic struggle and challenge for me. I've done all the things that the marketing people told me to do, and I, I haven't seen any results from it, being totally bluntly honest. And I realized that part of that is because my higher power, almighty love, God, has been moving me through this desert to show me who I really am and also to help me shed weight and shed beliefs and shed practices that haven't been serving me. And the only way we can really shed our old skin and be able to put new wine in new wine skin is to let the old go. And sometimes you have to walk through a place of barren wilderness where things aren't changing so that you can finally get into a place where you decide to do something different. And that decision to do something different involves being more present with yourself and being more faithful to the unseen reality within and connecting more with the light and the infinite love that is already inside of you. Instead of trying to change things that are outside of you, you go within in your inner garden and you make your commitment to working on your inner garden every day. Because you, you are the garden that matters. Your heart and your mind, that's the garden that matters. And the external might look like a desert, but the more you grow love and the more that you sow connection with the divine within you, the more the desert begins to shift and the more the desert begins to change. Now, I will admit that parts, the earlier, earlier parts of this year, probably springtime and the early parts of the summer, uh, I went through from a, I guess, entrepreneurial standpoint, um, I went through a little period of a burnout. And burnout from just doing all this stuff and feeling like I was on this never-ending hamster wheel and I wasn't seeing changes happen. And it was around that time that I really started digging into a lot of Neville stuff. But also around that time when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a step back from doing all of these things. Because I want to do work that brings me joy. I want to do work that I love. I enjoy connecting with people 
but making some things and not getting to experience or hear about people's experience from them or not getting to experience them one-on-one -on -one with these things that I'm teaching, that hasn't had the same kind of meaning for me. And so for a period of time, I took a step back and that's why you haven't had a podcast episode for me in a while. It's also why I, I stopped doing as much stuff on my blog because I've, I've been working on recentering myself and getting my energy back into a place where when I am doing it, I'm in that energetic state of I'm, this is joy for me. This is love for me. I have faith and confidence and uh, unwavering loyalty to the unseen reality within that what it is that I'm doing is significant and does make a difference and does matter. And I might not get to see what that difference is in the lives of the people that I share it with. I might not get to know what kind of transformation you have from what I share with you. And that's okay. Because a part of this also was letting go of needing to see some sort of change in order for me to believe that it was actually working. And so there's been a whole lot of letting go that I've experienced this year and I attribute that to what this journey through the desert has been. All this reminds me of reading about what, again, what the Jews' exodus from Egypt into the wilderness was like in the book of Exodus in the Bible. What had been their normal way of living, when we look at it objectively, we're like, okay, they were slaves to the Pharaoh, and he got pissed off and took, um, took their straw away so they couldn't make bricks which made their life even harder, and many of them were abused, and there's all kinds of just terribly dysfunctional things that were happening to them because they were slaves. They left slavery, they followed Moses into the desert on a journey into the promised land. Did they know what the promised land looked like? No. They knew that it wasn't slavery, and so at the beginning they were like, okay, we're not going to be slaves anymore, this will be awesome. But then they got out into the desert where they weren't surrounded by the ecosystem or the structures or the ways of living that they had been so accustomed to, and they had to live by faith. And that was a big, big challenge for them. It was incredibly difficult for them. And they resisted a lot of what Moses was trying to get them to see and do on a consistent basis. And I'm reminded of that because I'm reminded of the internal struggles that I've been on with myself, where there have been parts of me that are like, no, dude, I'm not going to do this stuff anymore. What difference does it make? I will almost want to go back and uh, go work, just go work some random place somewhere where at least things are predictable and I understand what's going to happen. So what if I don't enjoy doing the work? At least there's, at least there's a guaranteed payday for it. And having this internal struggle for lack of a better term, and I'm just being super blunt and vulnerably honest right now about some of the inner stuff that's that's happened inside my mind and inside my heart this year. And um, I see the similarities inside that story, once again inside the Bible. And one of the things, one of the other things Neville talks about is how the Bible is psychological drama. It's a, it's a brilliantly written psychological book. Book. And we can see our states of consciousness as illustrated inside the different characters inside the Bible. And I can see the states of 
consciousness the varying degrees of faith and loyalty and other sides of doubt and worry and fear from that story told in my story. And going from a predictable way of living, whether it's slavery or not, but that illustrated version of the, the Jews in Egypt, going from their normal way of living as being slaves to a fascist government that robbed them of just about everything and forced them to work in an insane series of conditions, leaving that way of life and then getting out on their own, that had to have been a liberating experience at first. But once again, when you get into the desert, where food and water and your basic necessities aren't as readily available, that can lead to all kinds of doubts and worries and fears and maybe even internal rebellion. And so it can make you waver in your decision making to leave something that you were comfortable with in a degree and go in this quest for something that might seem like a pie-in-the-sky sort of wish. And all throughout that story, there's a whole lot of burnout that the Jews experienced. And Moses had to do consistently a whole lot of stuff to keep them moving forward. And going back to what Neville describes, all of us are on this journey, very similar to what the Jews were on in the story of Exodus. We're all on this journey of leaving old ways of thinking and doing, and maybe even leaving old ways of just doing and doing and doing and doing and doing to embrace something that is unknown and unseen but very, very much alive inside of us. Our dreams and our desires and our visions. If you have a vision for your life and or your business and you've got a whole lot of uncertainty that you're trying to walk through, you're not alone, my friend. But that's what faith is. And going into an unknown place where you're going against the grain of what others are doing can be really, really scary and really, really uncertain. And you can feel like you're all alone in this perpetually endless desert. Hey, I feel your pain. For the past several months, I've gotten pretty tired of feeling like I have to check off all these boxes on the social engagement online marketing world and again that's that's why I haven't done a lot of the content creation stuff that I had been doing more consistently and I've got a whole lot I've got a whole list of things that I do want to teach and that I do want to put out on platforms like this here on this podcast and videos that I want to make I've gotten the opportunity to do some speaking over the past couple months and I've been really excited about that because I get to see people I get to be one-on-one -on -one with people, in a sense. And communicating that message, which is very similar to the message that I'm communicating with you here, I love doing that. Ultimately, I love teaching, and I consider that to be the work that I do. I don't consider myself to be a content creator. I do coaching work, but I don't really consider myself to be a coach in that same sort of capacity. Ultimately, I'm a teacher. What do I teach? I teach love. I teach what love is, I teach how to give love to yourself, and I teach you how to go through the process and the stages that you're going on in your life using the power of love. I enjoy getting to have conversations with people. Sometimes that leads to stuff that looks or feels like coaching, and that's fun. Sometimes it doesn't. But for me, the thing that gets me through the desert is using the wisdom 
and the incredible perspective that my friend Seth Godin gave me about five years ago. If you haven't heard this story before, this will be the first time. Awesome. If you have, you get to listen to it again. I used to feel, again, I felt like I've been in this kind of perpetual desert for a while. And about five years ago, I kind of had this revelation um, of reading, I'm a subscriber to Seth Godin's email. And every day, every morning, usually four or five o'clock in the morning, he sends, you know, maybe five sentences of just this interesting perspective and way of looking at life the way that it is. And a bit of hope, but also inspirational, making a minor change in the way that you think about things and change in the way that you see things. And one, one day I had kind of this revelation, I guess. Seth feels like Moses in this perpetual entrepreneurial desert that I feel like I'm in. And it seems like every morning when I read his emails that he's saying, hey, take one step in this direction. You'll get closer to your promised land. Well, I sent him an email just to basically say thank you for doing this. And I mentioned I was hosting a podcast at the time called the DIY Artist Route that was geared primarily towards musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And at the end of my email, my end of my thank you email, I just said, hey, I don't know if you do podcasts, but I'd love, I'd love to invite you to be on mine. The messages that you shared are perfect for the people that I talk with. And Seth was, um, he wasn't doing any podcast interviews at the time, actually, with one exception. I think he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast and he was on, he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast and he was on my podcast. And that was the only two podcast episodes that he did for a span of time before he started doing a few more. But, um, but he jumped on with me and we talked for about 15 minutes or so. Uh, he had just had, uh, spent the weekend with wrestling with a sinus infection, but he still honored the commitment that he made to me. And that meant so much to me. I've been so inspired by, uh, that level of integrity, that level of integrity, doing what you say you're going to do. Uh, but the, the last question that I asked him is, what's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody to take one step in the direction of their promised land? And this is how I'm going to bring everything home that I've been sharing with you today about the desert. Seth said this to me, and I remember it almost word for word because it meant so much to me and has completely transformed the way that I live, the way that I do business, and ultimately led to the platform that I have here as the growth farmer and this growth farming podcast. This is what Seth told me. He said, it's the idea that the grass is always greener on the other side that gets us in trouble. What you need to see is that you have all the green grass right now, right in front of you. What you need to do is farm it and not go hunting. One of the things that we do when we feel like we have this big goal or big dream or there's something that we're really aspiring to achieve is that we think we have to go out and do it and do it and do it and strive and strive and strive and hustle and hustle and hustle. And there's a lot of people that sell the idea that the harder you work, the bigger your reward is. And I don't know about you, I haven't experienced that before. I've experienced lots and lots and lots of hard work and I'm very proud of myself for the hard work that I've done. But I've worked for other people and I've worked for myself and I've really, really, I've, hours and hours and hours and, and endless, you know, nights and, and putting all these things together. And then the results that I was hoping for or believing in at the time didn't come into being. 
because I had put so much of my faith in the doing side, but not putting my faith in the believing side, not putting the feelings of the wish fulfilled, not having this vision of what it was that I really wanted to experience beyond just the business success or money or whatever, but getting into the feeling of satisfaction, getting into the feeling of accomplishment, getting into the feeling of joy, getting into the feeling of happiness, getting into the feeling of success. And the feeling is the secret. And sometimes divine love will lead us into the desert to strip away everything that we have been holding on to in these old ways of thinking, these old ways of being, these old patterns of work, 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 dig, 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 grind, 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 hustle, 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 to finally get us to a place where we just stop and we look around and we say, what gives, dude? I'm doing, 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 I'm hustling, 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 I'm working, 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 and ah, it's still the desert. Nothing's changed. And in these places, divine love can come in and maybe use a different person's voice, but tell you that you're chasing somebody else's green grass somewhere outside of you, and that's not the thing. What you need to do is see that all the green grass that you want is inside of you and commit fully to yourself. Commit fully to the dream that you have and take the time to just be. Do what you need to do, yes, but give yourself the time and the space and the energy and the presence to just be. Just be with yourself. You can use meditation for this. In one of previous episodes, I share a series of tools for, uh, I call it your growth farming tools for success, and one of them is meditation, and I'll tell you how, exactly how to do that. Another one is journaling. You can use that too. Just be with yourself in your journal. Ask yourself questions. Dig and explore yourself more. Change your self-talk. Change your self-talk from hoping and wishing that things will turn around and change and step into a place where it's already done and you believe it to be true on the inside of you. And as you use affirmations to change your self-talk, Every single time you do that, you're watering the seeds. You're watering the seeds. You're giving them sunlight. You are cultivating the soil of your garden inside. And that's the work to do. And opportunities start to show themselves. And your unwavering loyalty, and that word's very important, unwavering loyalty to the unseen reality within, that's where the blessing comes. And also sometimes, the desert is there and given to you as a gift. This is what I've been experiencing. The desert has been a gift to me to turn my faith into, from a hope, wish, and prayers side of, I really hope this works, I, you know, this better work out for me, to go from that, which is a lot of questioning and a lot of doubt, to go from that into it is done. I believe it. I trust it. I know it. It is done. I have faith and confidence in myself. I have faith and confidence in God. I have faith, total faith and unwavering confidence in the unseen reality within. And getting into that place of solidarity is what 
springs forth green grass in a desert landscape? What makes an endless waterfall begin to flow off the top of a mountain that didn't seem to have seen a drop of water in ages? It's the inner work that leads to the outer change. All this stuff has been a process for me, not an overnight thing. I admit that I have wanted a lot of change to happen rapidly and super fast, and that's not always the way that it works. Again, the Jews wandered in the desert for 40 years before they were able to cross over into the Promised Land. I, uh, in a way, feel like I've been doing a version of that, not in the same context, obviously, but um, the, the wandering has been a blessing. And one of the things, and this is just a couple more tools I want to share with you, getting into the feeling of the wish fulfilled, getting into the feeling of what does it feel like. You imagine your Promised Land. And that's the promised land maybe for your business or for your family or for your relationships, whatever it is. Imagine being in that and imagine it as though it's real right now. Now, as you're imagining it, what does it feel like? Get into the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Get into the feeling of excitement doing work that you love every day. Getting into the feeling, get into the feeling of joy, making a massive difference in the lives of people all over the world. Get into the feeling of success, fulfillment. Get into the feeling. Get into the feeling. Because it's in the feeling where the change really takes place. That's one thing. Another thing, get into the feeling of gratitude. One big piece of wisdom and one big piece of truth that I've gained this year is that gratitude is the gateway to all blessings. And we have the opportunity to even experience gratitude and express gratitude when we're going through things that are challenging, difficult, and otherwise just suck. Now, you might be thinking, dude, why would I be grateful for going through something that sucks? Because you get to see how amazing you are. You get to see how powerful you are. You get to be tested, in a sense, to see what you're really made of. Now, I've talked about this several times, but... Um, I'm grateful for the experience that I had about four years ago with just gut-wrenching, soul-crushing heartbreak when, uh, when I was given divorce that I didn't ask for. I'm grateful for it now in a variety of ways for several, several reasons. One being I had spent years not believing in myself and not thinking that I was worth anything unless somebody else said that I was. I had spent a period of time up to that point, wandering around in this desert hoping for somebody else to validate me, somebody else to tell me that I was good enough, somebody else to tell me that I was worthy because I didn't believe it in myself. And I was led into another desert after that point to show me who I really am and to change my concept of myself. And from that experience of brokenness has come healing in exponential ways, has come the most wonderful relationships with other people has come the, I guess, separation or people that uh, were not healthy for me, just not showing up anymore and not really talking to me at all, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, it has led to business success and growth that I wouldn't have had if I tried to make it happen on my own. 
and it's led to the most loving, wonderful, beautiful, amazing romantic relationship of my entire life. And I didn't have any of those things before. The challenge and the difficulty and the pain that I went through that eventually brought me uh, element, several elements of the promised land that I've been dreaming about required me to go through difficulty and struggle and trial. And I am grateful for those difficulties, struggles, and trials because it brought me into a different level of consciousness, a different idea of who I actually am, and it totally revolutionized my life. And I wouldn't have had that if things had stayed the same. And your journey through your own proverbial desert is an opportunity for you to grow and change and be transformed. And that's why the desert isn't a curse. The desert is a blessing. The desert is a gift. I'm going to be talking about this a little bit more in the next episode of this podcast. And I encourage you to join me on that when, uh, when the next episode comes out. Now, I've talked a little bit about growing love from within. I've talked a little bit, actually, I've talked a lot in this episode about the power of transformation. And sometimes the power of transformation happens when you're in a place where things don't feel all that good. I use the metaphor of the desert because the desert doesn't seem to be, the desert seems like a place that's lacking in natural resources. And sometimes when you're in a place where you're stripped away from everything that you had that made you feel comfortable, that's actually where the where the real work gets to be done because you're not relying on your old ways anymore and you get to grow in the reality and the truth of who you really are and that is love you are love now if you want some more help in taking what i just shared with you not just one step but several steps further then I do want to encourage you to at least go check out my book, which is called Be Solid, How to Go Through Hell and Come Out Whole. You can get it at besolidbook.com. It's one great resource that will give you tools and methods and everything that I've used to completely transform my life. And it also has a bunch of other bonus resources that I put everything in one place to give you everything that I believe you could use or do need to use to totally change your life. It's the system and method that I use to go from the place of just complete and total heartbreak and feeling like I was absolutely worthless into the place that I am now, where I invite challenges and I'm thankful for them. That's a completely different place than where I was before. Being thankful for challenges and actually welcoming them because you know they're going to lead to transformation and change, that's a great place to be even in the midst of deserts. And by the way, I'm thankful for the desert that I've gotten to walk through this year. I'm thankful for crossing over on the other side after my 40th birthday, which is November the 30th. I'm a birthday twin of uh, a few great people, including Billy Idol, Ben Stiller, and uh, my all-time favorite athlete, Bo Jackson. Uh, but despite crossing over into 40, I'm very thankful for what this year's brought me. It's been beautiful. It's brought me you. Now, I want to have a conversation with you because I want to know how this jived with you. Did you resonate with it at all? Or have you been spending this time going, dude, 
what are you talking about? This is, this doesn't make any sense. Cool. Let's have a conversation about it. I gave you the link to my book site, besolidbook.com. Not only is that a great place for you to get resources, but it's a great place for you to be able to connect with me directly so that I can be a part of your journey in a more direct and specific way because you're going through me and not Amazon. So go grab the book and let's have a conversation about your transformation. Until next time, I am your friend D. Grant Smith, or you can call me D for short. And as always, I am sending you rays of light and love from my heart to yours. I believe in you, I love you, and I'll see you soon. Status is important to all of us. Particularly, your HIV status can influence your health and well-being. Do you know your status? Surge GNR can help with free HIV testing, at-home testing, condoms by mail subscriptions, and prescriptions for medications that can protect you from contracting HIV, known as PrEP. Stay healthy, protected, and prepared, no matter the status of your relationship. Learn more at SurgeGNR.com. episode please leave us a review on itunes be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.